where it is, hopefully. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through to 10. You may have heard this or read this passage before. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through to 10. If you, did, if you don't have it, I think it should be behind me. And I'll be reading from the ESV version if you're following along. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen. Thanks, Peter. Um, if you have your Bibles, um, just keep it open at Luke 15 or your, your phone apps. Um, we're we're going to kind of stick to Luke 15 today. Um, if you don't have a Bible, like you actually like don't have one, we have free Bibles for you, right? So if you don't have a Bible, I think there might be a stack near the offering box. If it's not there, we normally put it there. That's for you. So if you don't have a Bible, you lost it, um, you have to go out to buy one and you want to have one, that's free, okay? So just take one. Um, but yeah, as Peter said, uh, we're continuing this series on uh, the image, being image bearers of God and reflecting, I guess, the character traits of God. And last week uh, was a bit of a heavy one. And last week was on God's justice. Now, God's justice uh, isn't something we talk too much about, right? Uh, it's not the, the centerpiece of our conversation, um, you go to evangelize to someone or invite them to church, we don't tend to begin with the justice of God. Like, you know, did you know God hates sin and he doesn't forgive sin? Right? Come to church. And, and every week we try to line up the songs with the sermon uh, theme. And for God's justice, you know, that was a bit of a hard one, right? Trying to find a song about the justice of God, like it's here in one line, but it, it's not really uh, that central place uh, in any of the songs. But this week, where we're talking about God's grace. And the grace of God is something that we love to talk about, right? It's the kind of conversation that we love to come back to. If you go through the Bible, there's a lot of passages about the grace of God. When you go to invite someone to church, God's grace is definitely something that you want to talk about. Like, oh, you know, God loves all people. And so please come to church. And trying to find a song about grace, it's so easy, right? It's like a thousand songs out there. And this is all for good reason. There's a reason why we talk about the grace of God. There's a reason why we sing about the grace of God. God's grace is what differentiates our God from every other God of every other religion. Right? It's what makes our faith, the Christian faith, different. Right? The fact that we are saved, we are made right with God, not by what we do, not by our good efforts, but by grace. Right? Something that is freely given to us. This is foundational. It's central to what it is to be a Christian. And it is the key 
It is the key that we must get in order to have a relationship with God. If you don't understand this, right, if you don't understand grace, right, you do not have a relationship with God. This is how important it is. This is why we talk so much about it. And so today we're going to come to this topic of grace. We're going to look at the God of grace and we're going to ask what's so amazing about grace. Now, to help us navigate through this attribute of grace, we're going to go through a story that a lot of us are probably familiar with. It's the parable of the prodigal son, right? It's in Luke 15, after those two parables that Peter just read. It's a very famous parable. I think it's famous because there's something about this parable that just moves our hearts. It's like, oh, that's such a great story. And if you don't know the story, I'm going to summarize it for you. I could summarize it like this. It's about a father who loves his son and gives him good things. Right, that's the parable. It's about a father who loves his son and gives him good things. Now, when I say it like that, it doesn't sound that amazing. Okay. And that's because there's something missing in the way that I just summarized it. What's missing is grace. Now, let me summarize it like this. It's about a father who loves his unlovable son and gives him good things even though he does not deserve it. Right? That's the story. That's the story of grace. You see, grace is what makes this story kind of move our hearts. It's what touches us. It's the centerpiece of this story. So let me define what grace is. They can define it in a few ways. I want to define it like this. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. You can say it's unmerited favor or God's good good gifts to the undeserving, but I like the way, this is how Jen Wilkin uh, phrases it, especially when you put it alongside her definition of justice and mercy, and I love simple stuff, and this is super simple. She says this, justice is getting what you deserve, mercy is not getting what you deserve, and grace is getting what you do not deserve. Okay, let me explain. Justice is easy to understand, right? It's getting what you deserve. And I talked about this last week. Before God, as people who have done wrong, we've sinned, what we deserve in God's justice is judgment. It's condemnation. We deserve punishment. We deserve death and separation from him. Right? That's what we deserve. That's God's justice. Now, mercy is not getting that. Not being punished. Right? Not being judged. Not being condemned. Not getting the bad that we deserve from God. That's mercy. But grace is a step further. Grace is getting what we do not deserve, the good that we do not deserve. So in mercy, God forgives us, but in grace, God then showers us with blessings, right? He showers us with good things. That is grace. And so that's what we're looking at today. So I've got two points today. We're going to look first at grace amazing. Now, the story of the prodigal son, or especially the younger son's story, can be summed up in these three words. He goes from rebellion to ruin to return. All right, so we're going to go through those three. He goes from rebellion, then he goes to ruin, then he returns. So rebellion. In the story, again, you probably know this, there's two sons. The younger son has a good and loving father. They both do. And the father has treated them well. But he decides to rebel. He decides to live his own way. And in verse 12, he does something shocking. It says, the younger of the sons said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. 
Give me my inheritance. And basically what he's saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. Because when the father died, the son will, you know, get a part of the inheritance. But he's saying, you know, I can't wait. I've been waiting and waiting, but, you know, you're not, you're not dying. So let's just pretend you're dead. You're dead to me. Just give me what's coming to me right, so that I can do what I want with my life. So how shocking is that for a son to say that? How rude. That's like a, like a self-entitled, I don't know, Gen Z or whatever. Um, what's even more, I'm just joking. What's even more shocking is what the father does. The father actually gives the son these, this inheritance. And so the son, he pursues this path of happiness, right? He rebels. This is our version of he goes to Vegas, he gambles, he gets drunk, he goes to prostitutes, that's what the older brother says later, and he wastes all his money. Verse 13 says he squandered his property in reckless living. And this, by the way, is where we get the word prodigal in prodigal son. I always thought prodigal meant the returning son. But if you look up what the word prodigal means, it means wasteful extravagantly wasteful. And that's what he's done. He's wasted his money, right? And Tim Keller says this passage should really be called the prodigal father because he's actually the one who wastes his love on the son. Anyway, this is why it's called the prodigal son. And I just want to pause here and say, you know, this is us. We have rebelled against our father, right? In some form or manner, each of us have come to our heavenly father and we've said, I want your stuff, and you, you can get stuffed. And the shocking thing is that not only do we say that, that we want to turn our backs on him, we want to live our own lives, but God lets us. He gives us good things. He allows us to enjoy life and succeed and laugh and have memories and go places. And we get to enjoy all these things that God, in his goodness, has given to us. Right? Each of us, we have been here. We've rebelled. But then there's a second stage. Rebellion leads to ruin. And so verse 14, it says, when the younger son had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. He wastes his money and a coincidence of events, a famine comes and he just hits rock bottom. He becomes desperate. And it says he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He gets like the worst job a Jewish man could ever get. Jewish people thought that pigs were religiously unclean. You don't want to go near pigs if you don't, if you don't have to. But he's so desperate that he gets a job where he's interacting daily with these pigs. And in verse 16, it says that he hits such a low, he's so hungry that as he feeds the pigs, he's like, man, I wish I could eat that food. But how hungry could you be to want to eat the food you're giving to the pigs? I don't know if you've ever like eaten your dog's food. It's just fun, but you know, like how desperate would you be to actually be like, it tastes really bad by the way, except the chocolates, they're, they're really nice. <laughs> I don't know why I know this. When you... Yeah, how desperate must you be to want to eat right, a pet or, you know, a pig's food? In verse 17, I love what it says. He hits rock bottom and it says he came to himself. In the NIV, it says he came to his senses. He's in this horrible place. Life has gone all wrong. He's got no money, right? He's made all these mistakes and suddenly he has a light bulb moment. 
he has an epiphany. He wakes up and he realizes this isn't the life that he had wanted. He had pursued happiness away from the father to live his life his own way. And all it had done is he had made a mess of his own life. It hadn't led to happiness. It had led to ruin. You see, rebellion leads to ruin. It doesn't lead to rejoicing. No, we think that happiness is found away from the Father, or from our Father, the Heavenly Father. We think that happiness is found away from God's rules, God's demands, where I get to live my life my own way and do what I want. That's the place of happiness, where I have joy and freedom. But that's not right. That won't lead to rejoicing, it leads to ruin. Happiness is not found without God, it's only found with Him. And this is what the son has realized. He needs to go back to the father. The full life that, he had, that was promised to him was not found away from home. He has nothing. He, his wallet is empty. His stomach is empty. His life is empty. And all that he has is a list of regrets and mistakes. And I just want to pause here and I want to say, Maybe this is you today. You've rebelled, you've lived your life your own way and, and something's gone wrong. Right? You've hit rock bottom, you feel empty, you lack purpose, you lack joy. Maybe you've got regrets, you've made mistakes. Maybe God has brought a severe famine along your way. I don't know what that looks like, but situation has made you realize that you're at the end of your life. You are in need, as the passage says. And this isn't the life that you want to live. And if that's where you are, I want to say that this is the best thing that has ever happened to you. Because God in his love brings us to that place so that we might realize we need to go back home. That we need to go back to the Father. Right? God shakes us up to wake us up. And he brings these things into our lives so that we might turn back to him. There is no replacement for God. He gives us good things, life, money, success, friends, but they are no replacement for him. Those things alone will not bring you everlasting joy. And so this is where the son is, and maybe this is where you are. He goes from rebellion to ruin, and finally, he decides to return. And as the son decides to go back to the father, he starts to practice his speech. I don't know if you've ever done that. You, you've made a mess of something. You, you're going to get in trouble at school. You're going to get in trouble at, with your parents. And you start practicing. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? How am I going to get away with this? How can I make it sound as, as good as I can? That's what he starts to do. This is his speech in verse 18. He says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I just want to stop here for a second. This is something... Every Christian needs to confess. We need to get to this place where we can say, Father, I have sinned against you. God, I have done wrong in your sight. Yes, I've done some good. Yes, I've, I've helped people maybe. But God, I have also sinned against you. This is so important for us to understand. And then he goes on, verse 19. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And this is true. 
Right? This here is justice. What the son deserves is to be renounced. If you were to see the father again, what he deserves, what's justice, is that the father would say, you're no son of mine. Don't ever come to my house again. I don't ever want to see your face again. Right? Perhaps even worse than this, according to Deuteronomy chapter 21, he might even deserve to be killed. Right? Deuteronomy says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father, then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. Right? We don't live by this now anymore, by the way, just, just so you know. But back in that time, for a Jewish person, I think he falls under this category. So what he deserves is not to be a son, or even worse, maybe, to be killed. But he's going to plead for mercy. Right? Mercy is not getting what I deserve. And so what he wants to plead is this. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Don't, don't kick me out of the house. At least let me stay in your presence. At least let me be in the house. Uh, because maybe if I was like a servant, I might pay off my debt to you. Maybe if I try really hard, I can earn your trust. I can earn your love again. And maybe one day you might even like me. Maybe I can get to that place. I want to work my way back into your heart. And so the son deserves justice, no longer to be called a son or be killed. He wants to plead for mercy. Don't give me what I deserve. At least let me be like a servant. But what he's going to get is he's going to get grace. He's going to get what he does not deserve. Verse 20. So the son arose and he came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. How does the father see him when he's a long way off? It's because the father's been waiting and watching for the son to return. Maybe every day he just waits at the edge of town, looking into the distance, wondering if this is the day that my child will come back to me. And so when he sees his son, what does the father do? Does he pull out his speech that he's been practicing? Son, you've done this and this and this, and you're the worst son ever, and you've been such an embarrassment to the family, da 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 and you know, list all that stuff and make you feel bad. That's not what he does. It says his father saw him, and he felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. Right? This is grace. It's why this story moves us, because we know that the son doesn't deserve any of this. The father does what is shameful for a grown Jewish man to do. They didn't run. I don't know if that's kind of similar to you guys. Like old people don't run. They, they kind of walk. And even if they're rushed, the bus is you know, there and they're rushed. They kind of move, like walk quickly. You don't run. This Jewish man runs. He lifts up his robes, which means he's going to bare his legs for the people to see. And shamefully, he runs to the son who has just squandered his living, but he doesn't care. This is grace. And the son takes a step toward the father, and the father takes a thousand toward him. And then in verse 21, the son starts to recite his speech. This is word for word what he said before. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But he stops there. He starts his speech but he doesn't get to finish it. He doesn't get to say, treat me as one of your hired servants. He doesn't get to say, let me work my way back into your heart. He doesn't say, let me earn your trust and love again. It's like the father knows what he's gonna say and he stops him because he's not gonna work his way back into the father's heart 
He only walks back. And the Father will do the rest. And so the Father pours out grace in verse 22. He calls his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. This is the ring that is the symbol of the family. With that, he can stamp letters. He can make decisions on behalf of the family. Put shoes on his feet, right? Slaves don't have shoes. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And what, a, what a beautiful story of grace. I don't know. Imagine if you did what the son did and you came home. I don't know if my, my parents are great. Awesome parents. I don't know if a, a regular parent would act this way. How gracious is this? The robe and the ring and the shoes all symbolizing the son's immediate restoration back into the family. He says, get the fattened calf. I love that. It's not just get a calf. Get the fattened calf. Because, you know, they'd have lots of calves. They got the skinny calf. They got the regular calf. They got the fat calf. And then you got the fattened calf. This is the, the best one. This is the one that you've been feeding for ages. And it's the biggest one. It's the one you're saving for the most important day. And he says, get that one. The one that we've been saving up for a day like this. My son has returned. This is grace. Justice says, you are no longer a son. I don't ever want to see you again. You deserve to die. Mercy pleads, let me at least be like a servant. Maybe I can earn your trust and love again. But grace, grace gives him what he doesn't deserve. Grace sees a father love an unlovable son and give him good things even though he doesn't deserve it. And this moves our hearts because this is us. We have rebelled. Our sons and daughters turned our backs on God, said, stuff you, give me your stuff, but stuff you. I'm gonna live my life and God lets us. And that leads to ruin, not rejoicing. Living our own way without God will, will not bring us happiness. And maybe by God's love, he will let you hit rock bottom and you will come to your senses, that he will shake you up to wake you up. And if we return, putting our faith in Jesus, we will not be met with justice. Not only will we receive mercy, we will receive grace. We will get what we do not deserve. We don't work our way back to the Father. We walk our way back to the Father. And he takes a thousand steps towards us. You see, when we put our faith in Jesus, he not only pays our debt, he not only forgives us of our sins, that's mercy, but we receive extravagant blessings from the Father. God immediately relates to us as sons and daughters. Just like that. From that moment, you are a child of God when you believe in Christ. From that moment, the Spirit of God dwells in you to work in your heart, to change your attitudes and the things that you love. From that moment, you have a relationship with God and you can walk daily with Him, speaking to Him in prayer and He would hear you. And you can hear from Him as you open up His Word. From that moment, God's favor is on you in such a way that you can be certain everything will work out for your good in the way that God defines what is good. And in that moment, your eternity is secure and nothing will ever change it. You can be assured 
that if you were to die in the next moment, in the next day, the next hour, you will not go to hell, but you will spend eternity with God because of Jesus. In Jesus, God is gracious towards you. And I talked about this last week. In Jesus, God's justice has been satisfied. His anger against us because Christ has died for us on the cross. And so if you put your faith in Christ and return to the Father, God is gracious to you. Like this would be your story. Isn't grace amazing? Right? No wonder we talk about it and we sing about it. But it's not enough for grace to be amazing, right? Grace amazing is not enough. It must be grace alone. I want you to imagine that this happened, right? Imagine with me. The younger son is welcomed back into the family. He's forgiven. And for the next month, he's really diligent with house chores. He gets up every morning. He makes, makes, the, makes his bed. He makes breakfast for everyone. He's vacuuming the house. He goes out to buy groceries. He's always doing the dishes. And then after, let's say, three months, three months pass, he's doing all these things, and then he comes to the Father and he says, Father, I've been doing all these things. Do you love me now? Have I earned my place as your son in this house? But how sad would it be if he did that? For the Father, that would be sad because he's already a son. He's already been forgiven. He's already displayed his love for the son. It's a shame that the son would try to earn what is already his. But that is what the older brother in this story has been doing his whole life. The older brother has been trying to earn the father's love, even though he's been in the home the whole time. So let's look at the older son for a bit. In verse 25 to 26, it says the older bro- the brother or the older son, he hears music and dancing and he goes to check out what's going on. And he asks a servant, right, what's that music? What's that sound? And in verse 27, the servant says, your brother has come, your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And then look at how he responds. But the older son, he was angry and he refused to go in. The older son is angry because he does not understand grace. He relates with his father, not by grace. By, he relates by what we call works. This idea of trying to earn the love and the trust of the father. Now, works is the opposite of grace. Like you can't have both. It's, it's one or the other. You pick one, you reject the other because they're opposites. Because grace is, right, if you remember the definition, it's getting what you do not deserve. Right, that's grace. Getting what you do not deserve. I don't deserve this. There's no way that you should give me this, but you've given me that. Right, that's grace. Getting what you do not deserve. Works is trying to deserve what you get. Isn't it? Works is trying to deserve. I want to be good and I'm going to try hard and I'm going to earn this. I'm going to deserve your love and your blessings. They're the complete opposite. This older son doesn't understand grace. He's living in a world of works. That's his framework and that's how he relates with the father. And we see this. When the father comes out to speak to the older son, and the father, by the way, in both of these situations, he's the one who goes. He goes to the younger son. He goes to the older son and he pleads with him basically. 
And the older son says this, look. He's very rude, by the way, right, in the Greek. He's basically saying, look, you. He deserves to be stoned as well. Look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Notice the word that he says. These many years I have served you. This is the word that the younger son was going to use. Let me be a servant, a hired servant, so that I can pay off my debt, that I might work my way into your life. Let me work hard and earn my place, that I'll be good enough for you. This is the older brother. The whole time while living in the home, he felt like he was trying to earn the father's love, trying to work his way into the father's heart. But we don't work our way, we walk our way to the father. You see, the older brother, he doesn't understand grace. He doesn't relate to the father in that way. And this is really important for us to get. This is a warning for us. It's not enough for grace to be amazing. It must be grace alone or else we will end up like him. Because you're either going to choose grace or you're either going to choose works. You pick one, you reject the other. If you don't understand this, two things will happen. Number one, it will pollute your relationship with the Father. This vertical relationship with God the Father will be ruined. If you try to work or earn the Father's love, that relationship, you're standing before Him, it'll actually ruin that relationship like it does with the older son. Because you're first, what you're trying to do is earn what you cannot earn. And you'll become bitter. You're trying to earn something that you can never earn. You know, the younger son was in such a debt that even if he tried to pay off that debt, even if he tried to earn that place in the father's heart, he would never have gotten it. He could not earn the father's love unless the father would choose to give it to him. And if you're trying to earn what you can't earn, if you're trying to be what you can't be, if you're trying to be good enough, but you can't ever be that good, you're going to be bitter. It's going to be frustrating. You're going to be resentful. And that's what the older son is. He's bitter. He's resentful. He's been toiling away. He's been serving, he says, the father. Why don't you love me? Why don't you give me good things? That's not how it works. And so he's frustrated. But the problem is in the way he's approaching the father. And so he goes to the servant rather than going to the father when he hears music. He never calls his father, father. He says, look, you. And he's angry. And part of that is directed to the father. He's frustrated. If we try to earn God's love, we will be frustrated. Because we're trying to earn what we can never earn. You can never be good enough. You cannot get to that place. Only by God's generous grace will you have a place in the family. Not works, only grace. Not only that, not only are you bitter because you're trying to earn what you can't earn, you'll end up with nothing. Because you're trying to earn what you already have. You know, the father says to the older son, he says this in verse 31. He says, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
It's just sad because what this means is, you know, the, the, young, the older son, he says, Father, you gave him the fattened calf. You didn't even give me a young goat. The father says, it was always there for you. You, you could have just had it at any moment. Right? You're trying to earn my love. I've always been with you. Right? You never had to earn it. But here's the thing. By trying to earn it and work for something that was already his, he, he ended up not getting it at all. By trying to earn the father's love, he missed out on the father's love. And by trying to earn the, the goat and the blessings, he ended up missing out on that as well. You see, again, it's either one or the other. You're going to, try to, you're going to get grace and not be works, or you're going to go for works and you're going to reject grace. And if you're trying to work for what is already yours, but it's something that you cannot earn, you will end up with nothing. There's only two ways that you can relate with God. You're going to try to earn your way into his heart or you're going to confess, God, I can never do that. I'm too messed up. I made too many mistakes. You need to forgive me and only by your generosity, welcome me. And you've got to do one or the other. And if you're a Christian here, even growing up in the church and you're, you're trying to do things that God might love you, you're missing out on grace. You're, not, you're missing out on what is already yours. Romans 11.6, it says this. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. If it's grace, it's not works. And if it's works, it's saying, then you've missed out on grace. It must be grace alone. In your relationship with the Father, it must be grace alone. You're not saved by grace and then every day you need to read your Bible, I need to pray, I need to come to church or else God doesn't love me today. That's not grace. That's grace plus works. And that's not grace. Grace is getting what I have not deserved. You cannot earn it. Stop trying to earn it. It is yours in Christ Jesus. We need to understand how important this is. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? By grace. And our response is, is faith. We just believe. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Right? A gift is free. If I gave you a gift and you said, how much is that? I'll give you $10. That's not a gift. You're spitting in my face. And if you paid me for a gift, that's no longer a gift. You just try to buy it. Right? A gift is free. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. If we try to earn what is already ours in the Father, we'll end up like the older son who's just, who's just working and slaving away, feeling unloved when the love was always there. Feeling like God isn't blessing me when, you, when that relationship is always there, when all that is ours is in Christ. If we would just stop trying and put our faith in Christ. It must be grace alone or else your relationship with the Father will be polluted. Not only is that re vertical relationship broken, but second, if we don't understand grace alone, it will pollute our relationship with others. Right? Our horizontal relationships will also be ruined. If God's love can be earned by good works, 
Right? If what I do can earn God's love, then that means that some people deserve God's love more than others. Right? If, if I could earn it, if I could do, let's say, 10 house chores and then I deserve 10 times God's love, and you've only done two house chores, that means you only deserve two times God's love, right? That's how works works. If you work more, you deserve more. And this is the mindset of the older son, right? He's a works kind of mindset, which is why in verse 29 to 30, he's comparing with his, with his younger brother. He answers his father, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your commands, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, right, again, he doesn't call him his brother, this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. You see, he's comparing, because that's how works works. I've done this, I've obeyed, I've done good, you never gave me this, but he's done that. He's, he's sinned, he squandered his reckless living, but you gave him the fan calf. How does that work? That's not fair, is what he's saying. That's not fair. And that's the point. That's the point, because grace is not fair. Grace gives you what you don't deserve. But he doesn't understand that. Because in his mind, it's works. The Father's grace says, I'm just giving my children more than they deserve. That's the Father's mentality. Grace. Showering of blessings. But the older brother's like, no, 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 what's fair? Because I've done this and I deserve that and he's done that and he deserves this. If we have this kind of mentality where we don't understand grace and that it's grace alone, we'll end up like the older brother. And we'll look around the church and we'll compare. And we'll say, well, you've done that and so you deserve this. But I've done that and I've done that. And we'll, we'll be comparing and criticizing each other. And it will ruin the relationships in the church. We'll conclude that some people deserve the love of God more than others. Some people deserve the forgiveness of God more than others. And this church will be disunified. I don't know if you've ever looked at somebody in the church or outside the church and thought, you know, they, they don't deserve to be here. What are they doing at church? Who do, th who do they think they are lifting up their hands and, say, I don't know, they, they, they say they love God. Or they'll never get into a relationship with God. That's, that's the works mentality. But some people deserve it and others don't. We need to understand that all of us have rebelled. All of us have ruined our lives. All of us deserve judgment from God. None of us deserve anything good. All is grace. We should be able to look at anybody in the church and say, they're exactly like me. If not for the grace of God, condemned. If not for Jesus Christ, separated from God the Father. If we think by works mentality, it leads to pride in the church. It leads to people thinking they're better than others. It leads to ungodly judgment. It leads to gossip. And maybe for those who feel like you're not good enough, it will lead to self-condemnation. And none of that is healthy for our church. What God desires for us, if you're a Christian and you're an image bearer of God, 
is to be a person who has received grace. This grace amazing, but also grace alone, and that you would then give grace and be gracious to people. Not be prideful, not be critical and compare with others, to be gracious to others because we've received it. We've received what we did not deserve, so now I can give to others what they don't deserve. This is where generosity comes in. This is where grace comes in. We're not thinking about what do you deserve because I've received so much more than I have deserved, so I'm willing to give much more than what you might deserve. So radically generous with my time and service and gifts. Right, that's grace. Forgiving others. Right, you don't deserve to be forgiven. That's the point. That's grace. Forgiving others because we've been forgiven even though we didn't deserve it. To look at the worst of people and still have hope. Right, to not give up on them because they are just as undeserving as we are. And to celebrate when anybody comes to know God because I used to be in that place, separated from God, but by God's grace, I came back to him. It must be grace alone. Not works. Grace alone. Let me conclude by saying this. When Peter read the Bible passage for us today, he read a passage that we didn't even look at until now. He talked about two parables. In Luke 15, there are three parables. Right? The first one's the parable of the lost sheep. Second one is the parable of the lost coin. And the third is the one we looked at, the parable of the prodigal son or the two lost sons. Now, in the first parable, there's a sheep. And the sheep is lost outside. All right, there's a hundred sheep. The one sheep goes outside, so the shepherd goes out to look for the sheep. In the second parable, the coin is lost inside, inside the home, right under the nose of the woman in the house. And in the last parable, there's two sons, one is lost outside and one is lost inside. You can be lost. You can be far from God outside the church and you can be lost and far from God inside the church. Those who are lost outside the church is a bit more obvious, right? They rebel and they live life they want and they do all these things that we know God doesn't like. That's a bit more obvious, and hopefully they return to God. But those who are lost inside the church, they're a bit harder to spot because they're like the older son. They've lived a good life. Right? Maybe you were baptized as a child. You grew up in church. You did all the Bible studies. You memorized verses. You've never really rebelled. You've never done drugs and all that stuff. Good person, but you can be just as lost and just as far away from the Father. You see, the one who has gone outside needs to return to the Father to be forgiven of their sins and receive what they do not deserve in Jesus Christ. But that's exactly the same for the person in the church. You need to be forgiven of your sins. You need to return to the Father, and you need to get what you do not deserve. You do not deserve the love and the, the goodness of God. You are no more deserving than the worst person in this world. You need mercy and you need grace. Your good works have no bearing on whether God accepts or loves you. Only your faith in Jesus does. 
The problem with those who are lost outside is they think they're not good enough for God. And the problem with those on the inside think we're too good for God, that we don't need him or his help. Both people need God. We need grace. This grace that is amazing, but grace alone. I think Keller once said that we need to, when we come to God, we need to repent not only of the bad things that we've done, but we need to repent of all the good things we've done as well. Right? We need to surrender those. Those things don't make us loved by God, only Jesus. Believe in Jesus and God is gracious to you and gives us every good thing in Christ. So let's close our eyes and let's spend a bit of time in prayer. And again, as I've said, it's the same. No matter who we are here today, no matter what kind of life that you've lived, no matter how much wrong you feel like you've done or haven't done, your list of regrets and mistakes might be long. It might be as long as a novel. Or maybe it's short, maybe yours is shorter than other people, but it doesn't matter. Each of us have sinned. Each of us have done things that displeased God. And last week, the justice of God means that every one of us deserve judgment. Each of us need the Father to give us what we cannot earn and what we do not deserve. And the only way that we can receive it is we, if we run to Christ. Jesus who paid the price for our sins, He died our death on the cross because He's done. He's done it all. He's satisfied the justice of God. We are now ready to receive God's grace. That God would pour out His goodness and His love. That He would bring us into the family of God, that we might have our eternity secure, that we might have a relationship with Him. All of that is ours freely in this moment if we would believe in Jesus and turn to the Father. And so I invite us all to turn to the Father. If you're not a believer here today, you're not a Christian, you've never believed, you never returned to the Father, you know, maybe this is your story. You've rebelled, it's led to ruin. Maybe it's your time to return. Maybe God has shaken you up to wake you up. Don't lose this moment. Don't wait for another day. Turn back to God. He will welcome you with loving arms. You take a step toward Him. He takes a thousand toward us. He showers us with love and generosity and blessings that we have not deserved. He is a good and loving Father. Return. And if you are a Christian, give God thanks because grace is amazing. And it is all grace and grace alone. Thank you, God. You've done it all. And I have done nothing in this whole process. I thank you. I praise you. Let's spend some time in prayer and let's turn to our Father. Let's pray.